0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Jonathan Groff, who is an executive producer, um, subject actor, theater star within the documentary, Spring Awakening, Those You've Known. So I wanted to start by by asking you about that initial process and genesis of what this show was gonna be, because obviously, initiated with that group text and the idea of coming back together for a 15-year reunion, but it wasn't just a case of doing, you know, the same stage show with the full production, the same numbers again. And at the same time, it's also not just a straightforward recital of the songs on stage in concert style. It's really this beautiful middle space where there's elements of performance and choreography, and you really are bringing these characters to life, but without it, you know, being a full reenactment of the original production. Um, And so I was so interested in, in what that part of the process and the journey looks like for everybody in really figuring out what that was going to be on stage that you were all going to do and how you were going to approach the retelling of the story.
1: Yes. It's such a good question because we were asking ourselves just that pretty much all the way up until the moment of executing the performance. My initial instinct was no one wants to see us as 30 year olds trying to be teenagers. So we're going to be holding books We're not gonna be performing. We're gonna read it like it's a story to the audience. We're gonna be reflecting about what we did. But then as we got in the room together and saw each other and started singing together again, kind of in a very spring awakening way, our bodies took over. And we all knew that it would be emotional and joyful to come back together but I don't think any of us anticipated how deep it was gonna go and how much we needed we needed to go back to kind of um, heal in a way. And I think when I was pitching a documentary of the experience to Radical Media, um, I was telling them about how, and I tell this story in the documentary about how I was for me personally, was in the closet during that time, and I was in my early 20s, we all were, and my personal story was that I kind of figured out who I was during that experience, and I think that everybody can relate to that, whether it be like college or high school or a sports team or a theater group working together when you're young and you haven't quite You know who you are, but not quite totally who you are. And we had this unique experience of being that age, finding ourselves, but then also getting to do this amazing material in this Broadway, what became a Broadway sensation. And so being able to look back at that time as adults was incredibly uh, emotional and incredibly healing for us to come together as a group and very, and very. Therapeutic, but I would say as far as the performing of it, it was kind of shocking how our bodies took over. It was like, whoa, we the lines came back and the songs came back like this. And just as much as it came back for us, the other big surprise was being in that theater with the audience, who was filled with people that had grown up watching the show as well. And so we were so grateful in the end that we had cameras in there because it was one of the most explosive nights I've ever had in a theater.
0: And in terms of that explosiveness and that connection with the audience in the theater that night, it's also not the same interaction and energy of an exchange that you have with them. There's no fourth wall. You know, you can go right up to people and sing along with them. And also they're able to participate in in a different way as well. You know, they can sit in their seats, they can sing along, they can be kind of like dancing and moving in a way that when you go to a show, you're not necessarily doing. And so how did that just completely create this this very unique energy of performance and exchange and interaction that you had with the audience?
1: Yeah, it's funny because even... Even when we were doing the show 15 years ago, our, our relationship with the fans and the audience was incredibly singular because we were the same age as them. And uh, an actress named Alexandra Sosha, who ended up replacing Leah Michelle in the show after she left, and was her understudy for a long time, she took a picture with me as a fan at the stage door in February of 2007, and then four months later. I was on top of her in the hayloft scene, you know, making love to her. Uh, and that, that's like a little example of just how kind of fluid the relationship was between actors and fans that you just don't get in any other show because usually the actors are older and the fans are younger and it's a different exchange. And that sort of led right up to now 15 years later, the show is just as much ours as it is the fans. And so in that night on on November 15th, our 15 year anniversary to the day, by the way, of our first performance on Broadway, it was to the day. There was so many cosmic things happening. But when we walked out on that stage and the audience just erupted, it was like, oh, wow, this this felt like it was for us but actually it's, it's now at this point, the rehearsal process was for us, but now this is for them. And, and, and I really feel very deeply that, that this documentary that we made is, is for the fans of the show, but, but one of our big mission statements in, in making the documentary was, you know, Spring Awakening happened before the age of social media. So there's not this like record a uh, visual record uh, of of what happened in that experience and how much that show meant to us and meant to the fans, and now we have this record of of what a miracle it was, what a brilliant show it is, and I'm so excited about the young people that are going to see this documentary and 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 learn, you know, about the show itself, but also learn about how getting to express yourself. With, through music and through acting when you're that age can literally change your life. I mean, for me personally, the show, and I tell my story in the documentary, it changed my life. And so that, that we're expressing the importance of that to young people in combination with the value in taking risks, artistic risks, the way that creative team, you know, just didn't hold anything back and really went with their crazy idea. I hope it inspires young people to take artistic risks moving forward as well.
0: Absolutely. And with the fact that you were talking there about there's not as extensive an archive in terms of the visual record of it, you know, there's obviously there is a recording of the show, there are kind of photographs, you know, and and you worked closely with Doug Hamilton, who was a photographer who was around at the time of the original Broadway show and and took a lot of photos. What was that like, kind of like sitting with him and sitting with the rest of the team and really going through photographs, not even just in terms of the memory it evokes, but also in really going in the story that we're trying to tell on screen and what we really want audiences to understand. Understand about the show and what this experience was. What are the images that best represent and best capture that?
1: Doug Hamilton was such a resource. And, and even for opening night of our show at The Atlantic, Tom Hulse, our producer, gave us these little booklets of a lot of the pictures that you see in the documentary, these beautiful black and white photos of us in rehearsal. And so even from the inception of the show, Doug's work has been a part of our emotional experience and our reflection on what was happening. Uh, and so it was essential that we included his work in the documentary and And uh, Josh Pearson, who was our editor of the documentary, he directed uh, or he edited Summer of Soul uh, that won the Oscar this year. Uh, and the way that he, with, with Michael John Warren, our director cut between I mean like interviews and photos like you're saying of that time with we, we managed to like dig through Tom and Ira's files in their office to find this like grainy b-roll footage from the from a preview on Broadway in 2006 that is all of the clips that you see of, of us doing the show back then is from this one recording that they had to like really search and find but the way that, that, that Michael and Josh weave that storytelling between then and now creates such a, such a sense of, of nostalgia and such a sense of power. And to see how, how much the show like, has changed us and how, as adults, we can reflect on that experience in a way that we just weren't capable of back then.
0: Yeah. And I, I love that mention of the way that the film, you know, so incredibly intercuts between that that footage from the original show and the, the reunion. And there's even moments where like the movement that's happening on stage at a particular moment in the song is the same. And you were talking earlier about that, that idea of muscle memory that just came back. And so when you were, you know, when you're in that moment, which we see in the documentary and you're working with Leah and you're figuring out the choreography of the scene was a lot of it about trying to really lean into that muscle memory and find kind of what it was that you were doing in the original moment or was it just about whatever you felt in that moment and felt like the right way to tell the story or express yourself in a particular number
1: I really was I really went in thinking like we're not gonna do staging you guys it's so awkward we're not gonna do staging and then Leah and I and I really was clear with Leah about that from the beginning and then she Was laughing at me because she and I went over to Michael's apartment, to Michael Mayer, our director's apartment, to just talk about the beating scene that we were doing and the hayloft scene and the word of your body scene. And suddenly we started to do our first scene and our first song, the word of your body. And I was like, maybe we should sit. Maybe we should sit. Maybe we should put our books down. And maybe we should sit. And maybe we should stand. And maybe we should do the thing where we do the... And we just, in about 10 minutes, staged the entire Word of Your Body song, which was our first duet together, as we did it. Didn't even, like, the the choreography came, we didn't, I mean, it's 15 years later, and it was just there. The way that we would hold each other's hands and, like, do this thing, and, and sort of what it evoked for us, I think, in retrospect, is when you are that age, like when you think about when we were in high school or when we're in our early twenties, you were like, even my parents are talking about the basketball games that they played their senior year. Like you just remember the moments. They're just the most important moments of your life in so many ways. They, they, they set you off on the course of the rest of your life. And, and this music and this movement meant everything to us at that time and changed our lives and so in retrospect it does make sense that it came right back and I'm so grateful that it did because then when they were editing the footage of the documentary and of the uh for the documentary of the concert this was not even intentional that we would do the moves so that they could cut back and forth this was a complete wonderful happy accident that that Leah and I could do the word of your body and they could show us doing it in 2006 and that we are holding our hands doing the last half of the number. That was, that was the brilliance of the editors and of our, our director that, that did that. Uh, and we just did it impulsively as it happened.
0: I love that. And it's it's also so wildly impressive that you really only had five days in that rehearsal room to put all of that together, to figure out all of those elements, you know, especially once you added staging and choreography to it. Um, you know, and I when, when you and Leah were doing the original show together, you would be running lines, you know, throughout two, a two-year run. Every night after the show, you would still be running lines together. And I heard that, you know, that was something that you were still doing even in this truncated five-day rehearsal process. What were the things that, you know, when everybody left the rehearsal room at night, that you and Leah would be getting together and really finessing and figuring out and just running time and time again with each other.
1: Uh, well, one of our one of my favorite parts that they even captured in the documentary that was not a planned moment was we kept kind of putting off the hayloft scene because we didn't we definitely didn't want to like simulate sex on stage again as adults. It seemed like that would be weird, um, and we asked Michael if we could stay after. We actually only, we had one day of music rehearsal, two days in the rehearsal room, and uh, then we did the show the next day. Uh, So we had a tech in the theater. So it was very, it was like truly only three days in the, two days in the room of staging. And at the end of the second day, we asked Michael if we could stay after to kind of go through the blocking of the hayloft scene, how, how I was gonna touch her, And how we were going to actually do it without showing her breasts or me taking my pants off. And uh, they captured that in the documentary in such a beautiful way because it really was what that experience felt like 15 years ago of us on our knees facing each other and Michael sitting there and... So kind of bluntly, but specifically and with care, but not with kid gloves, helping us choreograph this scene. And at the time that we were actually doing it, she was 19. I was 21. I was was in the closet. I wasn't out. I was feeling very insecure about being vocal about my sexuality. And Michael really held our hands through that process in such a beautiful way and I'm forever grateful to him for the rest of my life for the way that he treated all of us and me specifically in that scene with such great care and it was I'm so happy that that moment in the documentary is is captured forever because I I do think it's such a beautiful way of you know capturing intimacy in art is really difficult and can be quite damaging and painful for people when they're in bad experiences. And I have a laundry list of friends that have had terrible experiences trying, you know, being intimate on camera or on stage. But, but when you're with the right people and you're telling the right story, it can be life-changing and it can be therapeutic to express yourself in that way. And and that that is captured in the documentary really means a lot to us. So that was one that we rehearsed a lot. And then we rehearsed just our lines, like the beating scene, we rehearsed a lot. Our first scene, we just like compulsively, Leah's a a bit of a perfectionist. So she likes to just make sure she knows it and we just have it in our bodies ready to go for the show.
0: I also love that they captured that moment where, you know, everybody's just sitting on the chairs and you're going through that music rehearsal and you see Leah just kind of singing those first few notes. Um, But I also love that we see you just kind of completely uncontrollably (laughs) losing it in that moment. (laughs) And, you know, it's something that you say in the documentary is like, you know, I, I... not knowing how you were going to get through the show without crying because obviously there's so much emotion and there's so much history and reverence that comes with it and you know even in that moment where Leah stands on stage when you're doing the show and we see her just the camera just holding on her just like breathing really heavily just taking it in before she even kind of gets that first note out and again you know we kind of like see you to the side you know i really loved moments like that was there anything that you felt like you could do for yourself to try and like prepare to like brace some of the emotion or did you just want to allow yourself to really lean into it in the moment and experience it to its fullest extent?
1: There was like 5% of me that was worried. I was going to have a breakdown on stage in front of the audience and not be able to
0: make it through the show.
1: And even our, our crew, our, our crew from, from Radical they were like, I would be saying to them like, you guys, like, how am I gonna do this? I, I, I literally didn't make it through the show. I mean, my, the character of Melchior cries at moments in the show, so easy, like right there it is, no problem. But there were moments in the show where I'm not supposed to be crying that I kept crying. Uh, even the first scene with Leah, just seeing her walk on stage made me cry. and I, And I was worried about that. But then once we got in front of the audience, I realized that my that that my my responsibility to tell the story to them completely. I didn't it didn't even affect me at all. Like I I I was I became so committed to to just like expressing the story. It was great in the rehearsal to get those moments, but once it became about telling the story, it, it totally went away. But I was I was holding on to so much back then. I realized I learned. I didn't I didn't know this until we got there. But when I was singing those those uh, all that's known with Kim Grigsby, our music director, she stopped me halfway through and she said, Jonathan, you're, you're singing it like you used to when you were 20 years old. You're so tight and you're not supporting and this is not how you sing anymore. Like you can you can huh like breathe and open. You don't have to hold on. There was so much muscle memory I had of holding. I think because there was just so much pressure of the show, but also, Compartmentalizing my sexuality and what I was holding onto and keeping in at that time, I I when I went back to sing the music, it was holding. And she was like, "Sing it again," but like, but I know there's so much more to find. You know, really open. And I started. I just started crying. And and that was just. I think the whole. I had to. I had to go back and do it all again and open myself up and unblock myself because a lot of my held tight tension from that time was still in my body uh, when I went back to that music. So it was very therapeutic for me personally, just to like, let it all go.
0: I mean, it's so interesting hearing you talking about the tension in that way and the way that it kind of influences your voice. And, and I know you've also talked about the experience of a few days before the Tonys where your body just kind of like crumbled and and it was just like this release of all the stress that you were holding onto that you didn't even realize you had in your body at that moment. Did you find that kind of like the next couple of projects you went into, um, did you still have elements of that? Or like, what was your relationship with like, that tension and, and how you manage it as a performer? Because it is, there's a lot of natural stress that comes with performing and working on a new project and everything that you're carrying. And there's different ways to kind of like approach your relationship with it. And so how did the experience of knowing that that was such a part of Spring Awakening influence the way that you then have had that relationship in projects following it?
1: In a very practical way, I started um, getting massages. (laughs) So I would say say the the, the two kind of practical things just from like a logistical standpoint that perhaps are a little boring, but I, I would get a lot of massages and um, weightlifting and exercise and full body training helped me unblock and keep my body more sound and keep things flowing. So there was those two kind of external things that I did, but then I would say the big, the, the other, the big two emotional things, the first big thing was coming out of the closet. So, uh, being honest about who I was and bringing that into a room uh, and being confident enough to share who I am and not have to express myself in a character but hide another part of who I am, but actually just unlock and allow the flow to happen uh, changed everything for me. And Spring Awakening was the jumping off point for that and And related to that moving forward is i I learned that i i don't i'm not a, i'm not a confrontational person, and i sometimes have i sometimes struggle to speak what i'm feeling uh and so just trying to keep an eye on that and being honest i mean it's something i i still try to do every day, but i don't succeed, but I try every day uh to just constantly uh express what it is I'm thinking, feeling, experiencing in a, in a room in a creative process allows that kind of body collapse situation to not happen for me.
0: I also was really interested in that trajectory and that journey of when you took the show to Broadway, because you're taking a show that you know so well at that point, a character that you spent so much time with, and yet then you're in a different type of space and you're figuring out what are kind of the small configurations that we have to make in order for the show to work in this space. And, you know, it did become a sellout run, but that wasn't the case at the beginning. You know, in the, in the documentary, everybody talks about we were playing to 300 people in an 1100 seat theater, that's a lot of empty seats. And that's a very precise type of connection to the audience. Again, you know, going back to that idea. And so what were some of those configurations that happened to the show within that space? And also just in terms of like that connection with the audience, but not having a full house yet, because obviously it was very different once you had full houses every night.
1: There was a kind of, you know, Sally Bowles in cabaret energy where (laughs) You know, she's singing maybe this time to five people in that, in that, uh, in the Kit Kat club, but she needs to express herself and she is going to perform with no one in the audience because she has something to say. And so even though there was 300 people in the audience, we, we really didn't let it get us down because we, we believed in our show so much and we had so much energy and we had so much to say that we had to get it out eight times a week. And so performing the show for a full house was amazing. But even the three months before that, when we weren't certified a certified hit, it was still amazing because it, we were getting to work our shit out in this phenomenal piece of art. And so the size of the audience didn't um, diminish our young enthusiasm to perform our show on Broadway. We were gonna do it if there was 10 people out there. And then, and then technically, as far as moving from the small space to the bigger space, there was, I remember like just having a mezzanine, having a second having to look up and see, and see a whole, you know, group of multiple hundreds of people sitting above and, and really, it's, it's a, it was such a beautiful gift as, as a bunch of young actors to be in, a, in the Atlantic Theater, which is this intimate space, and really be focusing in on each other and that small audience, and then go to Broadway and learn how to expand and learn how to become actors that can reach the last role of the house. I mean, we were all in the, the most extreme, wonderful version of training that any young actor could have. It was phenomenal material in a big, beautiful Broadway house. And day by day, we learned how to expand outwards. And to to finish this answer by bringing it back to Liza Minnelli, I remember her coming to our, our final preview before we opened and she came backstage and she was like, this is the most exciting thing I've seen in years. And I just want to encourage all of you to use your diction so I can hear what you're saying because the words are so poetic and sometimes I can't understand it. So please use your diction. And uh, when you get, when you stand at that microphone stand, let us see you, you know, stand up straight and take it all in. And I mean, this was like we had a, re- a revolving door of, theatrical luminaries and pop stars coming into Spring Awakening. And I mean, those were our those were our teaching moments. And that was part of what made it such a beautiful experience.
0: That's incredible. And also goes to show if there's a handful of people in the room, one of them might be Liza Minnelli.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: I also wanted to, to talk a little bit about, you know, filming the interviews for the documentary as well, because again, the same as putting on the reunion show, there was very little time compared to how much time would usually be spent to put together documentary interviews, you know, and, and Michael really had about an hour with each of you to sit down and, you know, there's just such openness in the stories that you're telling, you know, such clarity, such conciseness. Did you kind of, did you go into those interviews with like any sort of sense of, of what you wanted to convey to the audience about your experience from the show? Show, what it meant to be bringing it back or was it you know about the space that michael was creating you know i know he said that for, for him you know he's so used to having to kind of like draw stories out or like ask follow-up questions but with all of you it's like you all just kind of came in straight out of the gate we're telling things that immediately could make it into the film
1: i would say it's a combination of two things i think from our perspective as a cast and a creative team this is like talking about your family. It's, it just flows. There's no, I didn't prepare any answer. I didn't think about what I was going to say. It's like no home for this one, no homework necessary. It just, it is, it's so meaningful to us in such a primal way that I could speak about this for the rest of my life and never get tired about it. So tired talking about it. And I know we all feel that way. And it means the world to us and it changed our lives. So effortless to talk about it. And then michael and the team at radical really created an environment that inspired honest introspection they like they put us in a really beautiful quiet room and they talked to us like we were adults which was a different experience than we had 15 years ago you know, 15 years ago we were kids and we were often asked questions as though we were kids and we were kind of not, it was a combination of us not being totally uh, aware of some of the intensity of the lyrics. Like In retrospect, you're like, oh, it meant that? Oh my God. So there was, we were just kind of kids with a lot of energy expressing this very profound show. Uh, And then also I think people felt uncomfortable asking us certain questions because we were so young. So in many ways, this was the first opportunity for all of us to really talk about what this show meant to us and for it to be taken uh, seriously and to have HBO, you know, (sighs) the HBO intro uh, come on in front of this documentary. I know for me and for the audience of HBO, it, you look at things in a different way when you see the HBO label attached to it. And it really is a gift to, to all of us that worked on the show. And it's such a gift to the show itself that it's been given this like really classy, serious uh, retrospective, because I think the show deserves that because it's such a profound work of art and so groundbreaking in so many ways. And that 15 years later we get to, to seriously talk about what this show means to people still to this day was like just um, a real honor and a real gift to the experience then and now.
0: You know, and it's, it's incredible, like all the different facets of, of evolution that you had the opportunity to go through as a performer, you know, what you were talking about with learning so much about your voice, you know, having Liza Minnelli tell you to like stand on stage and focus on your diction and hold yourself learning to sing to the mezzanine. What are, what are a lot of the aspects in yourself as a performer today that you really just see as things that came specifically out of your experience on, on spring awakening that you carry onto every single project that you do as a result of that?
1: The big thing I learned was I'm not religious, but stepping on a stage and saying something eight times a week for years changes changed me uh, and can change someone in a kind of cellular level from the inside out. So this reaching down inside of yourself to... Deliver great material to an audience um, is the greatest gift an actor can ever receive, and it does change you. It just does, and it and it and it's it's incredibly powerful. And every every theatrical, exp- I mean, part of the reason I was desperate to do Hamilton on Broadway for the the year that I was involved in that show is because I knew coming to the theater and getting to not only perform, but to hear that material every night would change me in ways that I was aware of and ways that I wouldn't even be aware of. And so I take it really seriously when I accept um, a theatrical experience because I just really believe you are what you repeatedly do. And I learned that from Spring Awakening because i had I, I got to play Melchior for for two years, and I left that show a month later and came out of the closet and that That was my key that was like the key that I needed to be able to do that um, so I like to have fun too when i 'm acting it 's not all serious life changing stuff but but it, it did give me a real respect for for the the life changing power of the theater. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's really incredible. And I love hearing, hearing those details, you know about all of the experience, even beyond everything that you shared in the film. So thank you so much, Jonathan. It's been such a pleasure to hear all of this today.
1: Yeah, thank you that you were so, Mara, you were so well researched. You had so much to, you had so much knowledge. That was really impressive. Thank you for all your questions.